Hello, this episode we are looking at Revelation chapter 14. We're going to have a look at some of the Old Testament context um, because in this chapter, to be honest, that's most of it here. <laughs> There's a lot of Old Testament stuff, even just by quickly reading through, is going to help us understand and interpret this chapter of Revelation. So let's get into the content today. I hope you enjoy it. Um, remember to follow and review if you are on Spotify or any other podcast platform. My name is Megan and here I talk about the Bible. I spend some time reading through commentaries and studying passages and then chat through here about what I've learned so you can learn that info on the go, doing your cleaning, while you work and I really hope this just feels like grabbing a coffee with me and doing a deep dive into scripture together. Let's get on with today's episode. Here we are again, another episode of the Revelation series. We are still going. Um, <laughs> I saw my dad last night and he said, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, oh, I'm recording the podcast tomorrow. And he said, you still in Revelation? <laughs> yep, still in Revelation. But we are really getting there now. Chapter 14, I think next week we'll do chapter 15 and 16 together probably because they're a little bit shorter. And then we're full steam ahead into the 20s. We're getting there. We are getting there. Thank you for your patience. Um, But I mean, I really enjoyed doing it this much in depth and going through it slowly. I think there's a real value to that in, especially in our world where we want everything so quick. Don't we just want instant entertainment, instant knowledge. And this practice of going through it slowly, it certainly helped me because it's made me kind of slow down and focus and just just spend time studying um studying this amazing book so i'm glad you're here with me on that journey and well done for staying for this long um today yeah chapter 14 so we left off learning about the beasts and last week we talked about satan's kingdom and how it's kind of the the opposite the anti-kingdom to the kingdom of god um and how everything's kind of a cheap knockoff of the kingdom of god So with that in mind, let's keep reading and read through chapter 14. And then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Before I go on any more, that's just um, the first verse. The last verse, the last chapter that we read was about the number being 666, about the mark of the beast. And literally the verse after... The beginning of this chapter we find out that God's people all God's people which is the 144,000 if you want to learn more about them go back to the episode on chapter 7 I'm not going to cover all of that again but we kind of concluded however specific you are this represents all of God's people um, they have his name the lamb's name and the father's name written on their foreheads now the the bible when it was written didn't have chapters and verses those were put in later on to help us navigate and to quickly find where we want to be. Um, so in this original text that John's writing down, these aren't separate into two different chapters. One verse would have flown into the next. It's just one load of writing. Um, it's not separated up like how we read it now. That's just there for our convenience. So the, those two verses would have to be read together. And it does make me wonder how much... Um, 
how much that is lost because of that chapter break where it is. We lose that kind of obvious comparison between those who are marked for God um, and then kind of Satan's... Um, he's, he's trying to like copy that with this Mark of the Beast thing. But these are the people that belong to God. They have God's name written on them. They are marked with God's name. They are for him. They just follow the Lamb. Um, that comparison is really obvious, isn't it? When we read those two verses together. So that's where we start off in this chapter. Let's keep reading. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits of God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. So in the last chapter, we heard how people in the earth were following the beast or worshipping the beast. But here we have God's people together worshipping God. Um, and it's an intimate thing. They have this song that they know and only they know because they know him, because they are in him, because they have been redeemed. And these people follow Jesus um, and that is seen in the way that they live their lives. They don't have any lies, it says. They live in truth. God's people live in truth. And that's something for us to do as Christians, to keep living in truth, even if the world around us is is proclaiming Satan's lies. We keep living in truth and keep following the lamb wherever he goes. This bit about um, being virgins, we'll kind of understand that in a minute. In the next section, um, sexual immorality is linked to the, Satan's kingdom. So it's not so much saying that they are people that just don't have any kids. Um, <laughs> it's it's making this point of sexual immorality being um, linked to Satan's kingdom and all this kind of icky stuff. But these people are pure. It's more of that pure, blameless, righteous imagery being washed clean by Jesus. These people are following him and are living like him. Very, very, very different from the people in the kingdom of Satan that worship the beast. So let's keep reading, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. 
those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labours, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour has come. Sorry, the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle, and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth, and gathered the grape harvest of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. In the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress, as high as a horse's bridle, for 1,600 stadia. So three angels show up, and they proclaim these important messages to the people that are on earth. The phrase um, that they are introduced with, in my translation, which is the ESV, said, says, um, I saw another angel flying directly overhead. Now, in other translations, this might be, it might say, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. Um, and this is something I think we've covered on the podcast before, I think. Um, but mid-heaven, it's more of like a cosmological term. So it's not just directly overhead, but it, it was the way that they thought the world worked. They thought it was kind of, they didn't know about the world being a globe at this point. So mid-heaven would have been the kind of in between the heavens and the earth, obviously. So it is like sort of in the sky, kind of. Um, but it's it's a position this angel is in. It's in a position where it can be seen by everybody on the earth. So if you imagine that the earth was flat, as these people believed at the time the book was written, the um, if it's a flat plane and the angel appears at the right spot everyone on the earth would be able to see it so it, these angels are coming flying mid heaven so everybody on the earth hears their message now the point isn't that it's a flat earth the point is they are seen by everybody these messages are heard by everyone on the earth so there's nobody that has not heard the gospel at this point which points to this being the day of the Lord. We've spoken about the day of the Lord before. It's this final day of judgment where all people are going to be judged and everyone's held accountable. And these messages are proclaimed to everybody on the earth. There's there's no one left now. Everybody can hear. And the first thing that the first angel proclaims is the eternal gospel. Everybody hears the gospel at this point. The gospel of Jesus and salvation. And it's for all people. It says it's for all people and um, every nation and tribe and language and people. Everybody can respond to this gospel. And at this point, everybody hears it. The next angel proclaims that Babylon has fallen. And this might seem confusing because Babylon, that was back in the Old Testament, right? Well, in the same way we talked about 
Jezebel, right at the beginning of the book, the beginning of this series of podcasts, being used as a name for a kind of bad teacher, a bad prophetess, um, because of the caricature of the actual Jezebel figure in the Old Testament. The same thing is kind of going on here. So Babylon, which was this great empire that ruled, that took the Israelites into exile um, and was not an empire of God, that that name is being used for Satan's kingdom. And when John's writing this, it's likely that he could be also using that term for Rome because that was a very common thing to do, to call Rome Babylon, because people saw it as this big oppressive empire. Um, they, so they would just kind of use those terms interchangeably in many ways. So he could be, if the people reading this would think, oh, it's probably Rome. But the idea is this applies to this sort of big conquering kingdom whose values are not the values of God, but is their own values or Satan's values, as we've seen in the last chapter. And the angel says that Babylon has made people drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality so that makes sense of the virgin's comment from earlier doesn't it but it also kind of harks forward to what we are going to learn about um this empire and how it's going to be depicted as a woman a prostitute called babylon so we'll we'll get to that in a couple chapters time and the third angel proclaims the judgment this is the judgment of the day of the lord and it's being proclaimed as coming now those who are choosing to worship the beast rather than worship God, there's consequences to this. They will drink the wine of God's wrath. Now that statement has a lot of weight behind it and we're going to look at that in just a second. But before we move on to do that, I just want to talk about this little section because quite often people use this section as an explanation of what hell is like, um, of where people go who do not follow Jesus and it's it's a passage that's used to suggest this sort of eternal torment that people will have in hell um and I don't think that it's not saying that (laughs) if that makes sense but again when we read these things we have to keep genre in mind and this is an apocalyptic book so these kind of vivid um this vivid imagery and metaphor that's being used is very much the style of the genre so I would say that this is obviously speaking some level of truth but also that that we have to remember that everything's kind of sensationalized in this book in the same way we have this beast coming out the sea with all the horns and everything like it's trying to show us something deeper here a deeper truth here so I think it, it doesn't it's not necessarily a slam dunk in saying that hell is this a place of eternal torture i don't think it works in that way but um it is a passage that makes us think about what what separation from god after judgment looks like it whatever it is i don't think we can know in, in full i don't think we're given that information in detail but it's painful it's painful being separated from the one who created you it's going to be painful and um, that should motivate us though to keep sharing the gospel that saves. But let's have a quick look at this phrase about the cup of God's wrath or the wine of God's wrath. It comes up all over the Old Testament. So when people read this phrase again, they would instantly think of these Old Testament references. So 
there's a load all over the place so I'm just going to read through them for you just so you can get a sense of the background of this phrase Psalm 75 verse 8 says for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs Isaiah 51 verse 17 says wake yourself wake yourself stand up O Jerusalem you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath who have drunk to the dregs the bowl the cup of staggering then there's also the whole of Isaiah chapter 21 and 22 I won't read all of that but you can if you want in your spare time to go and read that also Isaiah 63 verse 6 I trampled down the peoples in my anger, I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Jeremiah 25 verse 15 says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. And then 16, they shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. Jeremiah 49 verse 12, for thus says the Lord, if those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. Habakkuk 2 verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. So that's just some of the Old Testament references to this cup of wrath, to the wine of wrath um, that God gives out. It's kind of all linked to this judgment, isn't it? Of These people that think they can do it without God, that think they can build these kings without him, that have strayed away from his ways this is inevitable that God's cup of wrath, of wine of wrath is going to come and they will drink from it. I, I find it interesting that this idea of judgment is linked with these people being made drunk. Like it's, they kind of lose that ability to be in control and that's the thing that they kind of want for themselves. They want to be the ones in control, not God. But here they're, they are made drunk in like it's like the opposite they're just so out of control and 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 like yeah interesting there's a lot more we could look at in this this imagery but let's move on for now next we have a call for endurance of the people that follow god keep going be patient enjoy it's that same call we hear again and again and again in the book of revelation and we also get a reassurance here that those who follow jesus who die um it seems to be if they die before the new kingdom comes before jesus returns they are still promised um that that peace they're still promised rest um with jesus so we can take that as encouragement um for all the christians that have died in the meantime and also ourselves if if we pass away before jesus returns we are still promised rest with him um we will have that great reward of being with him for all the work that we do for him when we are alive in the world next we hear about one like the son of man who's seated on a cloud that comes and there's all this imagery again of jesus of being linked with the ancient of days the son of man we've already been through all of this so we're getting a little bit of the experience of what the original readers would have had at this point because we've covered some of this imagery already so now we read it and we go oh of course yes i know what that's referring to and of course they would have had that experience 
off the bat with all of this but it gives us an idea of um, why this is important to do this kind of background reading but this seems to be Jesus coming seated on the cloud and he is coming for the day of the Lord for this this final judgment of people and the angels are involved in this too swinging the sickles you've got all this imagery about about uh, vineyards and wine and that links back to the old testament too about the imagery of gods um of like israel and and vineyards and how how god's gonna harvest that it's all all of this comes from the old testament and obviously jesus talks about this as well doesn't he when he calls people to go out um because the harvest is ripe but the workers are few he's saying people are ready to be brought into the kingdom of god and in this occasion the harvest is being taken and those people are being separated from those who've worshipped the beast and those who have followed Jesus. We are seeing that final harvest taking place. And then the grapes are taken and they're put in the wine press and it says the wine press was trodden outside the city. I, I just this part I find really interesting. Um because the wine is being made from the people I'm not quite sure I don't quite I'm don't quite follow what's happening here the wine press was trodden the angel swings his sickle across the earth and he gathers a great harvest and then he throws that into the wine press of the wrath of god I thought the great harvest like the good harvest is those who actually follow Jesus so if there, if the grapes are in the wine press, then then what is the wine press being trodden? Is this a judgment, or is this actually a picture of something else? Now, there's a lot of debate over this passage, from what I've gathered, um, about whether this is a picture of God's kind of um, punishment of the unfaithful, or whether it's actually a picture of the atonement, because. If we look forward to chapter 19, verse 13, we see that Jesus is the one who is treading the winepress. And it's his white garments that are covered with blood. So it has been suggested that this last bit is actually a picture of the atonement and the power of Christ's blood to cover the the world. Um, which also, because obviously we link wine as well to communion and Christ's blood in communion so it's an interesting part of this passage because you get all this stuff judgment 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 wrath and separation but then this part about the wine press it doesn't like it's is that the torment or is this actually a picture of how Christ saves those who are faithful um by covering them in his blood and it's like his blood is 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 flowing out here and when it says high as a horse's bridle for a 1600 stadia it's like hyperbole it's everywhere it's covering everything so is this showing us a picture of the atonement of what christ's blood does to renew the world and this is the kind of beginning of the renewing of the world christ's blood flowing out to begin this renewal this this final judgment is happening at the same time the judgment is happening the renewal of everything in completion is beginning 
I'll leave you to think on that one. There's people who interpret it differently, but I guess what I'm saying is that if we're following these metaphors through and we're following this imagery through, it's not necessarily what we first think when we read it out of context. Just something to be thinking about on that passage. Let me know what you think. Do some reading of it yourself. Get back to me on Instagram Messenger. It's always great to hear from you on there or on the Facebook page. Leave a comment. However you like, I've got an email address on the website. Please always shoot me an email with your feedback. I'd love to hear it. Um, I'd love to respond and have a conversation about what you think because a lot of these things, I'm just trying to give you an idea of different um, contexts, different interpretations, and I'm studying through and trying to understand and think about this at the same time. So it's great to have a chat and a conversation about what you think. So that's today's passage, and I hope that was helpful to you. Um, it's quite a whistle-stop tour, but it's an interesting one. There's so much imagery going on in this passage. Um, next time we're going to move on to the seven plagues, so that would be fun. <laughs> it's a final set of seven that we will encounter in Revelation. So I look forward to seeing you then. Join me next week for that. Um, the Approaching Revelation Bible Study is going to be out in the next couple of days. I cannot wait. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Bible with Megan to keep up with those updates. There's a Facebook page too. If you just search Bible with Megan, it should come up. It's going to be up on the website. I really, really can't wait. I'm really, really excited about this. I've wanted to write a Bible study like this since I was 17. Um, and now it's happening. And even if it just blesses one or two groups and one or two people I will just be over the moon so thank you for joining me today um I'm just sort of waffling on now so I will leave you to your weekend if you're in the UK enjoy the long weekend we have to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee I hope you enjoy the sunshine I hope it is sunshiny sunshiny sunny um and that you can have a great time with friends and family and have a nice time of rest this weekend. I will see you next time. Thank you again so much for joining me today. for joining me for today's podcast if you have five minutes to leave a review of this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on that would be really really helpful and it would help more people like us who might enjoy studying the bible to find the podcast and to join us in our journey if you'd like to support me in making this podcast financially you can use the buy me a coffee link that is in the show notes to just donate a little bit towards making these resources you can also follow me over on instagram at bible with megan or one word where i update everything that's going on and have content on there as well so i really look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the bible with megan podcast